You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Thank you for being here. I want to open up by asking you a question. What was the best vacation you've ever been on? And maybe it was when you were a kid and you were so excited to go to the beach with your family or to Disney World that you couldn't sleep the night before. You were just, you know, in your bed wide awake with your eyes wide open, clenching your goofy, um, your goofy stuffed animal. Or maybe it was when you were an adult and you were going on your honeymoon or maybe a romantic getaway. And, and I know, you're probably wondering, Bobby, of all the times, why would you be torturing me with all the talk of places and being outside, when we're stuck inside in quarantine with the stay-at-home order, and I know, I know I'm sorry, but I'd love it if you would just take a minute, maybe comment on this feed, your favorite vacation or the best destination you've ever been on, and let's see uh, where all in the world our church has been. One thing we always forget about these trips and these vacations is how long it takes us uh, from where we are at to where we are going. And, and sometimes, you know, the trip is so long, if you're driving, if you're staying overnight, that it feels like the trip uh, there is as long as the trip itself. And so today... Um, you know, we'll circle back to this, but we get to celebrate Palm Sunday and, and talking about an event that is called the Triumphal Entry. And this is when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the final week of his earthly ministry. And so let's take a look. Uh, we're going to read this huge passage together, so just brace yourselves from Luke chapter 19. And we're going to go from verses 28 all the way to verse 42. And it says, uh, but Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached uh, Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went, and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying it, its owners asked, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And even one translation says, Hosanna in the highest. And that's where we get that from. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Let's pray together. Jesus, 
we just thank you again for what you're doing in this place, what you're doing in our hearts, what you're doing around the world, even in the midst of calamity and chaos and, um, you know, so many things being so different. We just thank you. There are so many reasons to praise you. There are so many reasons to worship you, as we'll see in today's message. And so we thank you. You are our Savior. You are our King. You are our Lord, and you are good. And so let us be people who are filled with thanksgiving, people who are filled with praise, uh, and we give you all the praise and glory and honor. Let us be changed people, um, you know, through your word today, that you would challenge us and inspire us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so anyway, this story, it is packed full of crazy events and celebrations, but what we don't realize is that this trip um, took Jesus and many others, because all the Jews had to go up to Jerusalem. It, it was long and hard. Jesus came from a town uh, that at, at, it's one of the lowest cities on earth, 800 feet below sea level. And he went all the way from 800 feet below sea level. And think of this being sea level, all the way from 800 feet below sea level up to Jerusalem, which was about 2,000 feet above sea level. And so if you thought your drive down south for vacation to Disney World was tough, imagine climbing a mountain in a desert for days on end. And so I'm starting to think that these people who are waving their palm branches at Jesus, um, it might be to help alleviate the smell that was probably coming off of him and his disciples from being so sweaty and taking this long trip together. But today, I want to look at four people in this story, and I want to look at their response to Jesus in this passage. And throughout I want you to be thinking about this question. Who am I in this story? So maybe as you're sitting there, think about this. Who am I in this story? Or maybe say it to yourself if you're by yourself. If you're, or maybe that's weird if you're by yourself. I don't know if it's more weird if you're by yourself or with your family. You can decide that on your own. But ask yourself this question. Who am I in this story? Now, the biggest and the most distracting group is obviously the people who are shouting and they're celebrating Jesus' arrival. And so imagine being Jesus and being greeted by this fanfare. I'm sure it was amazing, like something out of Macy's Thanksgiving Day prayed. Um, but because I think we've heard this story so many times, I think there's so much that gets missed. You know, this year is a presidential election, and it got me thinking about all these symbols and all these icons that we have in our country. You know, there's the red elephant uh, that represents the Republicans, and there's, you know, the blue donkey uh, that represents the Democrats. And we even have symbols that represent our country as a whole, like the American flag, or, you know, even, you know, if you think about it, uh, the bald eagle. That is something that says, yes, you look at the eagle and you're like, that's America. Um, and so I was trying to think that if I were represented by a symbol, what would it be? You know, would it be something obvious like a cross or something maybe more specific like a guitar, as I'm sure a lot of you know me as the guy who plays the guitar and leads worship? Or maybe from hearing me preach, you think that symbol is Coca-Cola, because I always talk about how much I love Coca-Cola. Um, you know, is there a symbol that represents who you are the best. And, and I'd love to hear it in the comments, you know, what you think, if you had to define yourself by a symbol or a thing or an idea, what it would be. Um, and I think if I had to choose a symbol, and maybe some of you will change your idea of what you would choose as your symbol if once you hear this one, I would choose a cookie. 
cookie. Definitely a cookie. And every kid at home said, yum. No, they said amen, right? Yes, I love cookies. Any cookies. All the cookies. And ever since I was a kid, I was obsessed with cookies. And I even remember my mom calling me the cookie monster as a little kid because I would just ravage a whole package of cookies in one sitting. And being quarantined, um, it does not help this problem. And I'm sure all of you guys are baking like crazy and saying, yes, you're right. Um, and I actually was taking a break uh, for Lent for several weeks uh, from cookies and this craziness and everything going on and the stress and just being bored at home, um, it put me back on the wagon. And I mean, how could I turn down an Oreo or like that perfectly crisp chocolate chip? I can't. I can't. I, I even made cookies yesterday because I was writing this sermon and I was thinking about cookies. And I was like, well, I guess I just have to make cookies. And um, so anyways... What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we were talking about people, and we were talking about symbols. So one thing that I think often gets missed in this story is that palm leaves, if you knew this or not, palm leaves, like the American flag for America, was the symbol for the Jewish people. These people who are waving palm branches and saying Hosanna, which says, you know, which means save us. It takes this whole new meaning when thinking of it this way. They were waving these branches and they were thinking that Jesus would come and overthrow the Roman government. They thought that he was going to start a revolution. And so the problem is that these people wanted to be physically saved so much so that they missed the reason why Jesus actually came to earth. And maybe that's you. You're looking at Jesus to solve your problems, or, or maybe you think he's like a slot machine, you know, that you give him your life and devotion and out comes blessing. Or maybe you see him as, as some abstract idea and you forget that he is a real person and he is alive and he's in heaven waiting to return. Or maybe, maybe, um, and I, I know I'm guilty of this sometimes, you know, maybe you see him like this gun-toting, white, middle-class Republican, or you see him as this hippie, social justice Democrat, and meanwhile, you're actually missing out on who he is as Savior and Lord. Are you like the people who are trying to use Jesus for their own purpose and put him in their own image? One group amidst these people, and this is our second group, are the Pharisees. And, and the people and the Pharisees alike both thought that Jesus would bring a revolution. They thought Jesus would try to overthrow Rome. And this scared the Pharisees a lot. So they were going to do whatever they could to stop Jesus and to stop this celebration from happening because they thought Rome would just utterly destroy the Jewish people, if Jesus would try to overthrow the government. And maybe that's you. In the midst of everything going on right now, you haven't given yourself or your family maybe the chance to have fun or be goofy. Maybe you've been so gripped by fear that you just can't break out of it. And you're missing out on the simple things that God is doing in this time. Like maybe he's bringing your family together. 
Maybe he's trying to show you the importance of some of our medical workers or our teachers or our other first responders or those who work at our grocery stores or those who drive semi-trucks, all these people that are making a huge difference in our society. If I were a Pharisee or if I were the people here, I would imagine that, you know, Jesus would go on from Jerusalem on to Rome or even maybe he would be assembling an army during Passover while all the Jewish people were together in one city. But do you know the first thing Jesus did after he came into Jerusalem, after he wept for the city? The very first thing. In Mark and Luke, it says that Jesus goes right from this parade of celebration into the temple to clear it of its hypocrisy. This is why it says at the end of the story that Jesus wept. We focus in so closely on the people celebrating Jesus' arrival that we miss the moment where Jesus cries for the state of the city. That God's people have gotten so far away from what he had intended for them, and it broke Jesus' heart. Instead of figuring out how to be God's people in the middle of of an ungodly culture, the Jewish people tried to strong-arm that culture and take control for themselves. You know, I think the church today can learn a lot from the lesson Jesus was trying to teach them then. You know, the Pharisees and the people thought that Jesus uh, was going up against the Roman government, but instead he was going to war with his own people. He brought a whip into the place of worship, and he made some drastic changes. So think of this temple analogy for a moment, and think about this. Our bodies are called a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you this morning, and maybe this is something you can comment as well. Is there anything that Jesus needs to clear out of your heart? You know, are there things that don't belong in your body? Maybe you need to stop binging so much Netflix or change the type of shows you've been watching, especially while that's all you're doing in quarantine. Or maybe you need to stop smoking or drinking so much. Or, or maybe you need to uh, be better about how you talk to your parents' kids or parents, maybe how you talk to your children. Or maybe you need to stop, you know, gossiping or being so critical. Or maybe, just maybe, like me, you need to eat a few less cookies. And, um, and I will say amen to that, I guess. So are there things you are doing that need to be driven out? Are you so focused like the Pharisees on what others are doing wrong, on what the world is doing wrong, that you can't see your own faults? You know, there are the people and there are the Pharisees, and there's also this very, very minor character in the story. And we'll call him the cult owner, um, or horse owner, or a rancher, or whatever works best for me. I understand that it's kind of weird to be like a cult owner. It kind of sounds like, uh, you know, it's someone who runs a cult. That's not it. Someone who owns a horse, rancher, cult owner. You got it. Okay. So the cult owner, he doesn't really have a relationship with Jesus. And, And I'm not sure he even cares who Jesus is. He isn't at the parade with all the people. He isn't, you know, waving his palm branch in the air like he just don't care. And I'll pause for the laughter because I'm sure you're cracking up at home because that was hilarious. Um, But anyway, the, the cult owner, this rancher, he just lets Jesus use his horse. And it is most likely because he knew Jesus' notoriety. Everyone 
Everyone in Jerusalem knew Jesus. He was probably even close enough to the action, he could probably hear the chanting and the screaming that all these people were making as Jesus made his way into the city. So he knew Jesus was a big deal. And so he decided it wouldn't be too big of a deal for him to loan Jesus his horse. And maybe you're like that today. You don't really have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe uh, you've just been freaking out by everything that's happening in the world, and so you found yourself tuning in online these past few weeks. And thank you again so much for doing that. You may be willing to give a little bit of your time. You may, you know, give online, or you may even watch some of our videos that we're posting throughout the week. Maybe you've even opened up your Bible for the first time in a long time. Or doing something like helping a neighbor get groceries or or doing another good deed like making masks for first responders. But you're not doing that because you really care who Jesus is. You're just doing that to be a good person or because you're scared. And so in this scenario, Jesus, he seems more like a safety net. You know, this cult owner and rancher, he wanted to make sure that if Jesus really is this revolutionary leader that these people and the Pharisees thought that he was, that he didn't get on Jesus' bad side. And trust me, I've experienced this. When people find out I'm a pastor, they, they treat me this way. Uh, they think that, you know, I have this more direct connection with God and, and that if they treat me poorly or, or maybe swear in front of me or do something like that, that God will strike them down where they are with lightning. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. I've seriously I've had multiple people say that uh, lightning, lightning. I, I want you to think about that. Um, and I'm not sure they were joking either. So... The last thing the cult owner would want to do is disrespect the future king. So loaning out his horse, he's saying, okay, no big deal. No big deal, Jesus. Don't hurt me. It's okay. But those who follow Jesus, they know that God isn't like that at all. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus wants to be your comfort through this situation. And and Jesus definitely, he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. But Jesus is kingdom. It isn't like any other kingdom on the earth. Jesus doesn't force his subjects to bow down to him like some lofty king on this throne. Jesus came and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus came and he healed the sick. Jesus, he's full of patience. He's full of love. He's full of forgiveness. He even forgave those who a few days later would let him die. And Jesus is inviting you to follow him today. And those who do so, those who follow him, they're part of this last group that we'll focus on today. And these are Jesus' disciples. And so as Jesus and his crew, as they're, you know, approaching Jerusalem together, Jesus sends a couple of his disciples out to get the colt that Jesus would ride into the city. And Luke, who wrote this story, he does this fun little play on words here. And if you don't read the story in Greek, you miss it. And it's the word that Jesus uses for sending his disciples. It's very similar to a word that we're familiar with, um, the word apostle. Uh, The word apostle, if you didn't know, it actually just means sent one or the one who is sent. 
And so Luke is saying that Jesus is sending his disciples out to do ministry as apostles and representatives of Jesus himself. And so you would think with this grand play on words that the task they would be called to would be this spectacular calling. You'd think Jesus would send his disciples out to heal the sick or, or to minister to the people who are celebrating and waving their palm branches like an old school first century altar call. I mean, these are the guys who would soon reach thousands with the gospel in the very first century of, of the church. But what does Jesus have them do? They go and fetch him an animal to ride on. I mean, this is the epitome of busy work. This is like having your assistant go fetch everyone coffee. You know, this is like having someone take notes in an important meeting, um, but actually not having them be involved in that meeting at all. You know, this is like asking your friend to send invitations out for your birthday party and then not actually even invite that person to your birthday party. Not that I have any personal experience with that. And trust me, this this was something that was definitely below the disciples' skill sets. This is something uh, below anyone's skill sets. And, And think about it. These men have been following Jesus for three years. They were collecting the leftover baskets after Jesus fed the 5,000. They were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They were there when blind people saw and and when the deaf heard, when cripples walked, when demons were exercised. And just days before Jesus is crucified, less than a week before he is crucified, he still has them doing busy work. You know, I would be offended. I would pawn the job off probably on someone else, on another disciple. I'd be like, all right, here you go, Bartholomew. Take it. Um, But don't be like me. This story shows what a true disciple and what a true follower of Jesus really is. Being a disciple is about service, and it's about obedience. Being a disciple is about letting Jesus have all the credit and taking a back seat. Christianity, it's not about self-promotion, or it's not even about my own dreams and my own aspirations. Jesus does use our dreams. He does use our passions to advance our, uh, his kingdom. And God did give you the passions and skills you have for a reason. But Jesus cares far more about your character and your heart and what's going on in your life and who you are than about your skills and your abilities. And I think this is important as ever in this season that we're in. You know, sometimes ministry, it looks like going across the world to share the gospel with an unreached people group like we heard about last week. You know, sometimes uh, ministry, it looks like preaching uh, like I'm doing this morning, or teaching in a, in a class or a small group, or serving in kids' ministry at church. But ministry, it's really a position of the heart. That, that ministry in this season, it can be something as silly as just staying at home. Ministry, uh, maybe doing your Bible reading every day to show your family what daily devotion to Jesus really looks like. 
You know, ministry uh, may even look like video chatting someone you know who is lonely or, or maybe terrified during this season. I think God wants to use this season to remind the church uh, that, that church isn't, you know, something big that we do once a week with the pastors taking the center stage, but that God is using this season to tell us that we all are supposed to be ministers wherever we are, every single day. If we're followers of Jesus, then we need to do whatever we are doing for him and to him. You know, whether that's getting a colt from a farmer or getting groceries for a neighbor or teaching your kids at night about Jesus. You know, I know we didn't focus that much on the actual story this morning of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, but I hope you see that Jesus is the main character of this story, that Jesus came into the city as a king that the people, that, that none of the people were expecting. Jesus uh, that, you know, these people thought that Jesus would bring physical peace by going to war with Rome and shedding the blood of his enemies. But Jesus instead, he brought spiritual peace. He brought emotional peace by shedding his own uh, blood on the cross for us. Because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. We can serve him no matter what our situation looks like, no matter where we are, no matter where we're worshiping today, no matter where we're watching at home. And I hope that you understand that even though so many people misunderstood who Jesus was in this story, that Jesus is so worthy of being praised and being celebrated, that he is the coming king. And though he didn't save the Jewish people from the Roman Empire, he did something so much more spectacular. That Jesus saved each and every one of us from our spiritual bondage of sin and shame. And that's what this story is about. We, we, we think we know what we want or what we need. And God does so much more than we could ever hope for. Or imagine. So think about that. Yet we think we know what we want or what we need. And God does so much more than we could ever hope for or imagine. So as we're wrapping up today, I again want to ask you, who are you in this story? Are you like the people in this story who are trying to fit Jesus into their own image? Are you so caught up with your own ideologies that you're actually worshiping a perception of Jesus instead of Jesus himself? Or maybe you're like the Pharisees, being so critical of everything else around you that you actually haven't taken a look at your own life. Maybe you need to make some changes and, and, and clear some things out of your heart today. Or maybe you only see Jesus as a safety net. Or only partially committed to him like this cult owner and this rancher. You don't really care about who Jesus is. You'll tune in on Sundays maybe, but you know, then you won't think about him or spend time with him the rest of the week. Or maybe you're struggling and you're trying to figure out how to be a true disciple of Jesus. You haven't really thought you know, um, about your everyday life being ministry to Jesus before. Or maybe the change of homeschooling your kids or working from home. Um, it's been so daunting. 
and you haven't even thought about ministering to your family or, or ministering to your friends or, or reaching out to your neighbors. Maybe you were comfortable with the way church was done. Maybe you've been sitting on the sidelines and, and now you're trying to remember what it's like to walk daily with Jesus. Let's remember who Jesus is. He showed us what true humanity looks like and how he loved others. He served those who followed him. He even died for the very people who killed him. And we have peace because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross that we'll even celebrate in this next week. The story shows us what kind of king Jesus is. If you truly believe he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, I want to invite you this morning to follow him, to give your devotion to him, to give your life to him, to give your every waking and breathing and moving moment to him. You know, I'm going to pray this morning, and, and if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe um, you believe he's Lord and Savior, but you definitely haven't given him your life and devotion, I want you to pray this morning. I want you to agree in this prayer with me. And afterwards, um, and this is really important, I want you to message us. I want you to message maybe me personally or, or message our church and let us know that you made this decision today. And we want to follow up and we want to connect with you and we want to walk with you and we want to help you and we want to equip you. So let us know you made this decision. Private message us. But let's pray together. Um, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. You know, even when I knew who you were, um, I really didn't understand. You know, that I knew that you were God, but I didn't understand the ramifications of that. And so I remember going to church. I remember, um, you know, attending for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. Um, but right now, Jesus, I, I admit that you are Lord. I admit that you are Savior. I admit... Uh, that you are God, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and now I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. God, I know that, that I'm so sinful, that I have wronged you, that I have hurt you, that I am not living in the way that you have intended your people to live, that you've intended for humanity to live. And so now I lay down my life to you. And as I lay down my life, I am committed to follow after your example, to follow after your way. Lord Jesus, and I know that you will make me whole, that you will make me new again. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I um, also pray for those who are maybe, um, you know, relating to one of these people in these stories, whether it's the people or the Pharisees or, or the cult owner and the rancher or, or the disciples. And I just pray that you would just move in hearts today. You know, that we don't need some big altar call um, to change lives. We just need you. Lord Jesus, and so we invite you into our homes. We invite you into our, uh, into our workspaces. We invite you into our living rooms right now. We invite you into our hearts to challenge us, move in us, uh, maybe show us uh, things that we need to change that we haven't even thought of or realized yet. Lord Jesus, and we just thank you what, with what you're going to do through this situation. 
that you're calling all of your people, like it says in the Bible, to be a kingdom of priests. That your people, those who follow after you, that we would be a kingdom of people who are solely devoted to you. That have all out devotion to you. In your name. Amen. And as we uh, leave this place and leave service, Jesus, I pray that you would go uh, before us, that you would be behind us, that you would be all around us. Um, in Jesus' name, and all God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Again, thank you for tuning in this morning, and, and make sure you stay on afterwards and let us know uh, your takeaway from today's message or maybe your favorite vacation or, or you know, uh, maybe what symbol defines you if you haven't uh, done that. And make sure you tune in next week for Easter. Uh, we will see you then. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.